appreciate you so much. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, let me get there, uh, verses 14 through 19, reading from the New King James Version, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19. Paul, this is Paul's prayer, and man, is it a good one. And if God answers prayer, and I mean if as a statement of faith, not doubt, then this should do it. This should be the prayer to pray. And Paul is not praying this prayer for sinners. He's praying it for Christians. And what he prays for them is he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, look here, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God. And the word know here in Translated is like Adam knew Eve and gave birth. This is an experiential knowing. It's not just a head knowledge. But Paul said, I want you to experience the love of Christ, which he says is surpasses or goes beyond your knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You can be seated. I titled this a strange title probably for some. Uh evangelizing Christians. Nobody thinks in terms, I even went on Google and typed in sermon evangelizing Christians and couldn't find one. And that's, that's something when you can't find one. Um, I found many on evangelizing sinners, but none on evangelizing Christians. But I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest needs, particularly in America, is for us to evangelize Christians. Uh, this is what Paul is doing in this prayer. He is ministering to people that don't know, and they are not rooted and grounded in the love of God. They're not experiencing God's love to the level. And when we talk about love, love is not something. Love is a person, and his name's Jesus. And John told us that in 1 John, that God is love. And so the image of God, the reason I spend so much time, last Sunday we talked about uh, restoring our image of God because what you believe about God and how you believe that God is and how he how his character is and how he deals with you I mean it has a profound effect on how we live our lives and more than that how we express our faith in the communities that we that we uh, move in how how that you act when you go through uh, tough times, you know, your, your co-workers see you, your family sees you. Um, and, and so um, th there, there are scriptures that, that seem to show the evangelizing of people that are in a relationship with God. I think one of the ways God does that is like even the prodigal son. But remember his elder brother, he's there, he's with, with, with Papa, with his father. And so, but he won't go into the party. When that son come home, what did, what did the father do? Did he give him a lecture? Did he say, I know you would drag your sorry 
you know what, back here after you spent all the money I gave, you know, wine, women, and so on. No, he, he threw a party for him. Killed the fatted calf, he said, let's party. The older son had a very messed up view and an image of who his dad was. And all this is metaphors for God. And so he had a very messed up image of his father. So he refused to go into the party. And so then I love that scripture. It says, because he would not come in, the father went out. And the father goes out to him in Luke 15 and 31. And he says to him, son, you are always with me. You're always with me. And all that I have is yours. Man, if Christians could just accept that. If you knew that God is always with you. God is always for you. God is always in you. And all that, you, all that he has is yours. It would change the way uh, that you lived your life. And, and he tells him, he says, you, you know, it, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He, he threw a party and the church still don't like that. They want you to put them in the, in, in the penalty box. They want you to, you know, uh, put them through this or put them through that. And the father throwed a party. And, and so Paul is praying that Christians will come in to that revelation. And, and listen to me, I believe with all of my heart that I, I want to use a computer term now, and I think probably everybody knows the term if you hate computers, but default, you know what your default is. And so I believe our default is to love and to trust God. I believe you're born with that default. I believe it's hardwired in you when you make your entrance into this world to love and to trust God. And, and I think it's, it's the default mold, just like it mold uh, to, to trust and, and just like it is for your parents. In other words, a baby's default is hardwired in that baby to love and to trust its parents, right? And so if, if it's hardwired to love and trust their earthly parents, I believe even more so it's hardwired in you to love and trust God. And, and, and we do love and trust our parents. And, and the only thing that happens is for that to be changed, you have to unlearn that. And, and, and to unlearn that, you, you, in other words, you keep loving and trusting your earthly parents into some kind of damage happens or to some betrayal or abuse or something happens. And then when, when that happens, that's a shock to you. And, it, and it, we, we, heard, we, we talk about it like this sometimes. Those hurts rewire you. It changes the way you view yourself, God, life, everything. And, and you begin to live your life based on that hurt that happened to you. And so the context and the culture that I learn about God in has a lot to do with how my view of God is. In other words, who he is, not only who he is, but how he is. And, and, but, but so however, whatever you were born into or whatever you were not born into concerning God and his image, you pretty much just run with that until further notice, until something happens in your life to shake that view. And, and so some of us come up with our image of God from our life experiences and in, in what happens. And, and all of you, everybody in this room has been hurt by stuff. And, and, and you know, and, and those hurts, man, they change you. They change how you view everything. I, I, yeah, I've told you before, uh, do this real quick, but when I was in the first grade, me and my, my dad, he was driving me to school one morning, and we lived in Tifton. We got in a horrendous automobile accident. We got hit by two different cars. And, and it, it was, you know, I won't go into all detail, but, it, you know, my dad was really the one that got the worst end of it. And a guy blew a stop sign and hit us, 
And it spun us. We were spinning, and then here comes another car and hit us again and spun us the other way. And um, it, it, it was, uh, and I, I remember that. And I was conscious through some of it. I would go unconscious and then uh, wake back up. And this is, uh, this is in the, you know, even before the amlets, official amlet services were really going in smaller towns like Tifton and, and so forth. And it was run out of the funeral homes. And uh, I remember riding in that vehicle. And, you know, in those days, it was called snatch and grab and run. It wasn't a lot of care went on. It would just throw them on a stretcher and get them to the... And I remember hearing the guys talk about how bloody my dad was. And, um, and I remember, uh, uh, you know, my, I remember waking up in the car after we got hit and seeing my dad just lay, lying in the floor, a puddle of blood. And I, I tried to lift him up, but he was such a big man, I couldn't, hold, I couldn't get him up. And I had on a baby blue, bust, they call it a Buster Brown shirt. And I had navy collar on it, and, and the color was baby blue. Of course, it was solid red with my dad's blood. And I remember when I got to the hospital, they were steady lifting my shirt, looking for what caused all that blood, but it wasn't mine. It was my dad's. That had a profound, that was a, that was a horrible life experience. And from that day forward, I was terrified of accidents. And I didn't even want to see a car accident. And I didn't want to hear about one. I didn't want to see one. And I remember over the years, and I'm talking about as I grew up and even become a teenager, uh, I remember sometimes me and Mama was coming back from somewhere and there was an accident. And the car was laying over on this side. And, and she pulled over to, to, you know, just to pull over to see. If, and I, I, I begged her not to stop. I remember begging her not to stop. Uh, because I just didn't want to be around. I didn't want to see it. I didn't, because it, it, I went right back to that, when I was in the first grade, and uh, and 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 it it it, changed, it rewired me. Now, can you imagine a person like me that decides what career you're going to go into? I'm going to be a paramedic. Imagine me telling my parents that I'm going to go to paramedic school, and they love me, but they said, I, "They said, son, are you sure about this? I mean, are you sure about this? I mean, you can't even see an accident." And you're gonna you're gonna be you know but 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 of course you know God can rewire the and unwire the hurt and and uh, and I spent 20 years in that in that field and loved it um, but these life experiences they can form and they're very formative in, in your life and they can fashion the image you carry of God because of the of the things that happen you think about people that are raised or experience extreme poverty. Uh, you know, not knowing where the next, next meal's coming from, or, or people that are exposed, or kids that are exposed to, to violence in their home. And they see their parents, you know, hitting one another and beating on one another. And all this stuff has a profound impact on your life, or, or, or the death of a child. Imagine parents that experience the death of a child, and then they get, in, and they get involved in the church. And a lot of churches in America still... Uh, 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 propagate this lie and they say well the Lord took it the Lord took your baby the Lord wanted another angel in heaven now you know you've heard that mess and it's mess it's ridiculous it impugns the name and character of God uh, and, and, and God didn't take that baby this ain't heaven um, and, and so you hear people say that. Well, and I've heard preachers. I've had to be in funerals where the Lord, where they said, you know, the Lord picked a flower for his bouquet table in heaven. 
And you got a little bitty casket down front. And I look out there and I see the moms and dads are just, man, it changes their image of God. Most of them never even fool with God no more after they hear something like that. Because it rewires them through the hurt. They, they say, if God would do that and take away my kid and put me through and my family through this horror, I don't want to serve a God like that. And I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't want to serve a God like that either. But even though God's accused of it and people believe that he's like that, see, even if it's a lie, but if you believe God's like that, you'll live your life based on that lie. And it's a horrible thing to do. And even worse, you, you know, like, uh, you know, here comes, you know, Hurricane Katrina. And, and, and what come out of that? Preachers filled pulpits in America and said God was judging the gay people or, or uh, you know, the, the uh, strip clubs in New Orleans. And that's why he sent the hurricane in there, you know, to kill off some people and put people through that horror of that storm. And, 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 and people are sitting out there and kids are sitting out there and they hear that God's behind that. God's the one that sent the storm. Or they may hear another stupid statement. You know, God's in control. God's in control. Don't doubt the Lord. The Lord's in control. God's not in control. You see how quiet it gets when I even hear when I say that statement. That's why in my book, I made it the first chapter. Myth. The, one of the greatest myths that the church keeps shoving is, don't, you know, God's in control. After any kind of disaster, shooting, God, they'll, they'll go all over social media. Don't, you know, God's in control. God's not in control. If God was in control, there wouldn't be no murders, rapes, suicides, killings. Uh, God would, God, none of that happens in heaven. God said, I want it on earth like it is in heaven. Pray for that. So that proves that God's will's not done on earth. God's not in control. Well, well, you know, God, the Bible said God's sovereign. The Bible does not say God's sovereign, does it, apostle? The word sovereign is not even in the Bible. Now, I would say he is sovereign, but sovereign don't mean he's in control. Love does not control. There's no woman that prays, oh, Father, send me a man that will control me. Come on, women. You don't want no man controlling you. And I want to tell you, the man don't want no woman controlling him. That's not what love does. Love doesn't control, manipulate, coerce, threaten, abuse. And if God is love, God couldn't control. Because love don't control. God's in charge. The Valdosta Police Department, they're not in control of Valdosta. You think they're in control? Talk to a policeman and ask him, is he in control? They're not in control. They're in charge. They respond to horrible things. They wish it didn't happen. But if they was in charge, they would stop the murder before it happened. They're in charge. That's a puny example, but I don't know how else to try to get it across to you. God's in charge. But the Bible says in Psalm 115, the earth, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. Do you want to know why there's hell on earth? Us's. It's our fault. It's not Papa's fault. And Papa waded into this fallen mess that we created by choosing to go in rebellion against him. And he said, I'm, 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 I'm with you. And I'm going to walk through this with you. You know, we, we, the people, you know, all, everybody, you know, hear God's good, God's holy, God's loving. And you go, amen, he is. And then when something bad happens to you, then you go, well, now God's good, God's holy, God's loving, 
So God wouldn't let this happen to me unless I'm the problem and it must be a punishment. The reason I'm going through this hard time in my life. I mean, how many times over 42 years have I sat with weeping young married couple as they experience the horror and the pain of a miscarriage where they've lost a baby in the womb or, or, or stillbirth as they would call it sometimes. And, uh, and I, I've heard this many times. And they're sitting there with tears running down their face. And they say, well, Pastor, I, I think the Lord's just paying us back. You know, we're just reaping the sins of our promiscuity and how we lived when we were younger. Isn't that horrible? That that's the view and image people have of God? That now, here it is years later, and because that they were promiscuous, or I've had a couple said because they had relation, you know, intimate relationships before they were married. Now that's why we lost a baby because now we're having to pay for our sin. Hey, if you could pay for your sin, Jesus did, he could have stayed home. He wouldn't need to come. I mean, if you can pay for it, you can't pay for your sin. You can't pay for sin. Sin can't be paid for. You can't unscramble an egg. Ever. All thing you can do is create a new egg. Start over. Right? But this is, this, these views of God are rampant in America. And all you got to do is get around Christians or look at their social media. I watched somebody yesterday put a picture of somebody burning in fire, you know, and they, it's all these threats. I mean, God ain't good. I mean, uh, he, he, God's not good. He has to have some kind of incentive program, you know, got to threaten you into heaven. That stuff makes me so angry. And so they, you know, had the picture of this, you know, wreathing in flames and, and talking about, you know, and then they was telling them, you know, that you're going to go to hell. And, and hell is, the, they said, hell is the absence of God. I so want to go on there and post and post a verse that says, if I make my bed in hell, there is God. Because that's how stupid they are that they would post that. Hell is the absence of, you ain't no place you can go to be the absence of God. Said, if I send to the mountains, behold, God's presence is there. Said, if I make my bed in hell, he is there. And I've gone through hell a few times myself in my life. Anybody else been through some hell? And sometimes it might have been hell I created, but it was still hell. And you know what I found out? He's there. People used to tell me, say, man, you know, you got to pray and be pure and everything and all and for you to be able to hear the Lord. I heard the Lord better when I was a heathen. When I sat on bar stools, I could hear God good. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Tell me, I got to get... <laughs> in fact, I heard him more clearly sometimes in those days. In the Bible, when bad things would happen... They did the same thing we do today. Well, you must have sinned. It must be punishment. You know, you must have done something wrong. That's why you're going through this. Remember Job? Uh, you must have sinned. That's why you're going through this. You know, you've done something or you wouldn't be, you know, going through this. Or, you know, and so when Jesus came, thank God for Jesus. He corrected all that stuff, but we still don't get it. Now, one time in John 9, I got to go quick. In John 9, it's verses 1, 2, 3. The Bible says Jesus passed by. There was a blind man that they saw. He was blind from birth. So the disciples, here's their response to that. In verse 2, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither. Now, that's a poor translation in the New King James because actually what Jesus said was no. He said no. Um, he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but, for the, but the works of God should be revealed in him. I've heard preachers so dumb that they would take verse 3 and said, God you know, purposely made that man be born blind so he'd have somebody to heal. If you're that dumb, you just need to quit. I love uh, the message translation of the John 9, 1 through 3. Listen to this translation because it's very accurate. It says in verse 1, Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you are asking the wrong question. Boy, if that wasn't a statement. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. See, when you see a problem, when things are not right, don't try to figure out. I remember years ago when all of a sudden I'd been as healthy as a horse. I thought all my life, all of a sudden I started having atrial fibrillation. I was a paramedic for 20 years, so I knew that something was going on. I'd walk up, you know, if I walked up this, from that floor to this platform, it would throw my heart into atrial fibrillation. And, uh, and I, you know, and then I went to the doctor and they said, we got a murmur. Man, you ain't got no, had no murmur. He said, we got one now. Then I go to a cardiologist and now they do, you know, checked out my heart and uh, said, you, your aortic valve is bad. It's not closing. Blood's backing up in your heart. You're going to have to have open heart surgery. I don't hear none of that. Uh, I mean, you know, so what's going on? You know, what's, uh, you know, all of a sudden that, that's going on in my life. And I remember I was sitting with the cardiologist, and, and when he first told me, he said, This, you know, need to put out all the bad news. And I said, Well, how did that happen? I mean, when, how did I. How did my aortic valve just all of a sudden go? I mean, what, what's going on here? I was just so confused. And he looked, I remember he looked at me, Dr. Hancock, and did, he said, don't matter how it happened. The fact is, you got it. He said, now, it could have come through when you was a kid. You could have had rheumatic fever. You could have had, he said, it don't matter why you got it or how you got it. What matters is you got it, and we got to fix it. So let's focus on that. How about that? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he was right. We Christians spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, why did this happen? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Did God allow this? Did God not allow this? Stop all that. You see a blind person? This is your thought. What can I do to bring God glory in this situation? And you pray for them. You pray for them. It's guaranteed for them not to be healed if you don't pray. Pray for them. Pray for him. And, and so Jesus run into this in Luke chapter 13 and in and, and, and verse 1. So Jesus brings up some bad things that have happened. And it says in verse 1 of Luke 13, there was present at the season someone who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate, for some reason, just goes on a rampage and kills a bunch of Galileans and he takes their blood and he mingles it with the Jewish sacrifices of their animal sacrifice, you know, that they were offering. 
And, and that defiled their sacrifice. It was like a double horrible thing. Not only did he murder innocent people, but then he used it to, to cause religious uh, trauma to them. And, and Jesus answered and said to them, he, Jesus brings this up. And he says, do you suppose, notice how Jesus, how he's doing it. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. See, Jesus is trying to correct it. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. There was a big tower. These guys was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that tower fell and killed 18 of them. Horrible thing. An accident. Now this thing by Pilate was wicked men doing wicked things. This here is just an accident. Tower falls, falls on 18 people, kills them. And Jesus said, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem and that's why they died? He said, I tell you what, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now some people with a, with a, with a judgmental, vindictive, punitive God, you read these verses like you know, God saying, you know, I'm going to do the same to you if you don't straighten up. No, Jesus is saying if that's how you think God is, then you need to be repenting because you're you next. If, that, if that's your view of God, if that's your image of God. And then I'm going to read a couple of verses in a minute where Jesus speaks a parable to straighten that out. But what Jesus is doing, he is confronting a false image of God that was common in that day. And I want to tell you, it's still common today. And, and, and he tries to counter it with an image of how God really is. And that's why he's using these phrases like, do you think, do you suppose, or do you believe? What, what's Jesus doing? He, he's pushing uh, uh, into their belief system and he's trying to expose their, their false ideology about uh, their view of God. And, and so it was predominant in that day that, that you know, God punishes the, the sinners and if you're, the, if you're a really bad sinner, then you're going to get the worst of it from God. And so anybody that had, you know, birth defects or accidents or horrible deaths or diseases, they, they believed that all these things were punishment from God for the sins that they've committed. And, and, and so Jesus is asking them, is, is this the God that you believe in? And then Jesus answers his own question and says, no. And, and he gives an emphatic no. But why? Because accidents happen. My little grandbabies, I wish I was that more chilled out when my kids were small. But they're steady. I mean, they, I'm not the perfect grandparent. I'm pretty darn close. But I'm telling you this. I mean, they ain't never heard me one time yell at them for spilling milk or breaking a glass or dropping a plate or making messes. I, never will I do that. And they know you could bring any of my, my grandkids up and say, what does your poppy say when, when, when you do something like that? And what does poppy say? What does poppy say, Jill? Accidents happen. See, she knows. And then I say, Jill, come clean this knob. <laughs> I don't do that. But sometimes she's going to come do it anyway because she cleans better than me, she says. So. But I'm always telling them, listen, baby, it's okay. Because, I, I mean, you'll see sometimes, because sometimes, you know, maybe they don't maybe necessarily get that reaction all the time. And so you can see, like, they'll spill something, and all of a sudden you just look on their little face, and there's fear, you know, like they're going to get you. No, hey, baby, don't, man, listen, don't you worry about that. Accidents happen. We'll clean it up. I mean, it ain't like they just sitting there and pulled up the glass and poured it out. And I mean, that's not what happened here. This is an accident. It mean, too, they wanted the milk. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just ridiculous. And, and so, so 
uh, Jesus is trying to, to deal with that. And one, of, and one of the profound ways he does, look in verse 6 of Luke 13. So after he tells them, no, this is not how Papa is, then he gives them a parable in verse 6. He said, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now notice something in that verse. You don't supposed to plant fig trees in a vineyard. We got a problem right out the gate here. We got El Dumo person. And, and the other thing, he plants a fig tree that needs to be cared for, tended, and, and taken care of and watered. He don't even come back until harvest time. And all he's wanting is plant the tree, leave it alone, planted it in a stupid place, by the way, and then going to show up at harvest time and want his check. Now, y'all believe that's how God is? That's not who God is. It's ridiculous. So Jesus is given a paradox. This is not how Papa is. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on the, this fig tree. I found none. Cut it down. Why should it cumber the ground? Well, that's a mean person, isn't it? You don't even care. You don't even care. I mean, I care. I mean, a, a plant, a tree is a living thing. I've had some stuff go crazy in my backyard and uh, crepe myrtle tree. And just, man, I nursed that thing. Just nursed it. And I, I kept trying to do this and spray it and do this, fertilize, whatever. And finally, I just said, man, you know, this ain't going to work. This thing is dead as wedge. And, and so, and then look, it was dry. So I moved, I went to Hay Hire and bought me another one. Dug another hole by it, put it up. You know what? Now the other tree that I give up on, here it comes. He told me I ain't dead yet. <laughs> I know I looked dead. I know I felt dead. But I wasn't dead. There was something below the ground you did not see. You gave up on me too quick. That's all. I can grow right side that brother there. <laughs> he got to jump on me. Come on, somebody. You know I'm not really talking about crepe myrtle trees, right? But in verse 8, Jesus gives that verse 6, 7, that, that's a bad dude. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Jesus said, this is how Papa is. He's not, number one, he's not going, see sometimes he's not, you're not going to, you would just maybe you was a fig tree born in a vineyard. Baby didn't ask to be born in a crack house. Raised around drug dealers, abusive, violent situations. You was a fig tree. You was in a vineyard where vines grow and choke out your fruitfulness. Papa don't like that. But he's not going to leave you, and he's going to tend to you, and he's going to dig around you, and he's going to fertilize you. And I don't know if you understand this, but I don't try not to carry it too far. But I'm telling you, uh, when it talks about somebody going to fertilize something in the biblical times, they're not going to Walmart and buying a bag of fertilizer. They go into the cow lots, to the sheep pens, and scooping up manure. And they're going to put manure. So the point is, Papa's going to get into the manure with you. And get his hands dirty for you. And it, it's not too nasty for him. And your life ain't too messed up for him. 
And, and, and he's going to get right in there, and he's going to give you time, and he's going to be patient, and he's going to dig around you. And I want to tell you what Papa's never going to do, cut you down, throw you away. And in fact, he made that promise in Isaiah 42. And this is how it says God is. Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break. Whew. And a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice from truth. God said, if you got the candle and somebody, some, some, some violent wind of life is coming, blown out your fire, and there ain't nothing but an ember with a little smoke trail, God's not going to come by, be done with you. God's going to so gently, can you imagine how gentle Papa's got to blow on that to get that ember to burn strong enough to catch back fire? God said, that's what I'll do for you. You a bruised reed, you've been bent over. He said, I will not break you off. A bruised reed, I will not break. God knows how to deal with fig trees that unfortunately somebody stuck you in a vineyard. He knows how to fertilize. He knows how to deal with all the stuff that's going on in your life. And he will not extinguish you. He will not break you off. He will not give up on you. He will not stop reaching for you. He will not stop loving on you. He will not stop speaking to you. He will not stop doing that. And so when bad things happen in your life, mine, or in the world, and accidents happen, and a tower falls because some crazy people drove an airplane into it. Don't you get in no pulpit and start screaming that God was behind this somehow, judging America because of the sin of homosexuality, or judging whatever other sin is your pet peeve, because you are now impugning the name and nature and character of God. And God, bad things happen because wicked people like Pilate does murderous things. Bad things happen because sometimes you're at the wrong place at the wrong time and a guy runs a stop sign and runs into your car when you're driving your little first grade boy to school. It does. It happens. Bad things happen. But don't ever leave the hospital thinking somehow God was behind that. God's trying to get my attention. All that crazy mess here, you know, God's trying to get, God's not the Godfather. How many times I got to tell you, he's not John Gotti. He don't break legs, shoot people, murder people trying to get your attention. He don't send Katrinas, hur hurricanes, tornadoes, floods. God don't do that. And in fact, when floods and, and hurricanes tried to kill Jesus and his disciples, what did Jesus, who was God in the flesh, what did Jesus do? He spoke to that wind and he commanded that thing to stop because God wasn't behind that storm that was trying to kill his disciples. And so what do we do in the earth? We do what Pastor Johanna said. We pray. We pray. We speak the word of God. We stand in faith. We stand in faith. So the other, uh, in, in the other day when that hurricane come through our town, I mean, it messed up a lot of stuff. I still ain't back together completely, and probably a lot of you are not either. And, 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 and it wasn't fun. And I mean to win, you know, and we've been so blessed. But I was on my front porch speaking to Papa. And I wasn't only talking to Papa, but I was speaking to the wind. And I said, I command this one. And, and I'm out there, and I ain't putting on no show. I'm just on my porch, standing, wind, rain. I'm watching the next door. It just I, I, I have no other word for it other than it was a tree, not a pine tree, some other type of tree. It, my neighbor's tree was shredded. 
It looked like you run a shredder through it. Big old tree. Just stuff flying everywhere. One in my yard goes across the road, hits my mailbox, bent my little flag. Hallelujah. You know, and, 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 went and landed on, on, my, on my brick mailbox. If it wasn't brick, it would have been on the dirt. And then I'm standing on the front porch, and, and my wife, she don't like bad weather. I don't like it either, but she really don't like it. And then she just come outside, and, and, I, and I, I was standing on the front porch, and I felt my whole house shake. <clears throat> I knew that wasn't, I knew that wasn't good. And then as soon as I did that, she come, and she was just a cry. She said, a tree fell on our house. I was like, baby, what you want me to do about it? It just fell on the house. And I go out there and look, and our whole backyard is just filled with two big old oak trees on top of the house. Mess. Just mess everywhere. Tore off stuff, tore off the house. See into the attic. On the roof. Rain, wind. What am I, what am I to conclude from that? God don't answer prayer. I was on the front porch praying when it happened. I was rebuking the wind. Am I to conclude then that there must be sin in my life, that God's you know, trying to pay me back, God's angry with me, it just don't work, so I, if it don't work, then why waste air time praying and even believing for stuff? Just sit in the house, watch TV, and wait for hell to hit. I mean, what am I to conclude from that? I didn't conclude nothing. My conclusion was this. That wind was strong enough to bring my neighbor's tree down and hit my house. What am I to conclude? Am I mad at my neighbor? That wasn't even my trees. They wasn't even on my property. Tore down his fence, come into my house. Tore down my fence, crushed it to the ground. And tore up all kinds of stuff. Cost thousands. That's when you thank God for insurance. Because I had some. Aggravation, still aggravating. Still got stuff I need to do. But it's getting there. It's getting there. Our church here. What are we to conclude? Tore the roof off. The church. What are we to conclude? You know, I do need y'all, seriously, I need y'all to pray that God will touch that insurance company that has this church insured for $5 million. That's now balking on stuff. And I'm, and I'm not really good and saved when it comes to that kind of stuff. Now, Johanna's sweet. I'm going to go get a lawyer. I will sue you all the way to your headquarters. Don't think I won't. Don't think the preacher nice. He wants, oh, yeah, we'll sue you, buddy. I know some sharks that'll go after you. Everything now, we got to explain everything. Well, why you got to have a new sign? Why can't they just fix that? Well, why you got to do the whole part of the flat roof? Why can't you just patch that section? I wrote back and I said, well, why, you know, the tree out there that fell. I said, don't they want an, they said, we want an explanation from sign companies of why I've got to replace the sign that I got insured for $30,000. And now you won't give me $1,200 and say put some light bulbs in it and keep going. So we want an explanation from the roofers of why we can't just do the patch. Why you got to do the whole flat roof? Well, are y'all that dumb? But okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that for you. And I wrote to Johanna, I said, ask them that they want me to explain to them why that we can't fix that pecan tree and why we got to just dig it up. Do they want us to explain why we, got to, we can't fix it? You want us to put the tree back together? You're a bunch of 
And Johanna steady having to calm pastor down. But I'm about to go get me a lawyer. <laughs> oh, it was a good sermon until I took off on this trail. But it's life, y'all. It's pressure. Bad stuff happens. Accident happens. Wind blows trees down. Things happen. Towers fall. But the wrong thing is to conclude or allow your little precious mind or heart to believe that somewhere in the background that it was Papa's will, it was Father's will for that to happen to you. I promise you, based on the Word of God, and now my many years of life with Him, and He, was, he is not the author of your pain. He does not will the pain that you've done. And in fact, if you will look close in all your pain, He is in the pain with you. He's in there with you. You have a co-suffering Jesus. That's why he still has scars. And anytime you doubt that he is a, a, a not a co-suffering, he just he invites you to put your hands in the nail holes and thrust your hand in his side. Because he said, I co-suffered with you. I entered into all your pain. I entered in and took it all upon myself. Jesus did that. He did that. He was the remedy for the problem of sin, death, and pain. He renovated it all for our sake. And he responded not with retribution and threats, but with mercy and love and forgiveness. Wednesday night, my precious brother there, James Mitchell, I think that was in Luke, wasn't it? You asked me. We did our question response here Wednesday night. It was in Mark. Yes, that's right. Brother Hagen's favor. He was talking about that fig tree. And he wanted me to comment about it. And all I do is just offer my, my, my thoughts on that. And it's where Jesus had walked with his disciples and he saw a fig tree and it didn't have any fruit. Remember that? And, and, and he spoke out loud in front of his disciples. They all, the Bible said they all heard it. And he said to the fig tree, see to it that you bear no fruit from this day forward. And ever. And uh, though it doesn't use those words, uh, men consider that's where he cursed the fig tree. They go on into Jerusalem, they minister that day, they walk by the fig tree that afternoon, they go back to Bethany, two mile walk, and they spend the night. They get up the next morning, they go back to Jerusalem to do ministry, and Peter notices the fig tree is dried up from the roots. He is astonished by that because he remembers what Jesus did the day before. And within 24 hours, the fig tree now has withered and has died from its roots. And he points to it and says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is, is withered from the roots. And then Jesus, his response to that is, he says that, I want to say this to you, that anybody, that, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt that thing that he says in the heart, it shall be done whatsoever he saith. Brother James said, what, you know, want me to comment on that. Now a lot of the faith people, and I don't mean this derogatory, they, they tend to use those verses as a teaching mechanism to learn how to speak to things and rebuke mountains and whatever. And they, 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 to me, they bring it down to, to their mountains, your mountains and my mountains that me and you have, and, and which I, I'm saying that's probably to some degree appropriate. But it is my belief that what Jesus was saying 
was. And he demonstrated the power to deal with the mountain that was upon humanity. And that was the mountain called sin. And Jesus wanted them to have faith in him that if he says to that mountain, be thou removed and cast where? Cast where? Into the sea. Where did the scripture say that he would cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you anymore? And so Jesus was demonstrating and showing them that I am about to speak to a mountain just like I spoke to that little fig tree. And that fig tree is something that y'all tried to fix your own problem in the garden. It's, he's identifying with all the problem of humanity. And when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, what was their solution? They made themselves garments of fig leaves in the garden. They'd come up with their own religion, their own methodology, their own religion to try to solve their problem and save themselves, and it was ridiculous. And Jesus took that thing all the way back to that garden and to that fig tree, and Jesus said, this thing right here is not going to bear any more fruit in your lives from this day forever. I'm cutting the head of this thing off. I'm dealing with the source of it. I'm going to remove sin. I'm going to take away the sin of the world. I'm going to speak to that mountain that you can't speak to, but I'm going to speak to it. And just like I spoke to that fig tree, I'm speaking to this mountain called sin. And I'm going to rebuke that mountain. I'm going to command it to be cast into the sea, never to be remembered against you anymore. That's what he was demonstrating. That's what he was showing. And that's what he was teaching them. That's what he was doing. That problem, that root, that, that knowledge of good and evil. Well, I'm good, so I'm going to heaven. And I'm evil, so I'm going to heaven. It ain't about that. It ain't about that at all. It's about life or death. That's why Jesus said, eat of the tree of life. And when they sinned against him in that garden, and, and, and there was, they had plunged themselves into to, to death, they, have, they had embraced death. Because Jesus said, told them, God told them, in the day you eat of it, you'll die. He didn't say, in the day you eat of it, I'll kill you. That's why a lot of Christians read it. He said, but this here produces death. But in the day you eat of it, it produces death. And so when Jesus, when God come in the garden after they sin, he, he, he's not browbeating them. He's not, he's not doing anything like that. He actually says, I love you guys so much. I'm paraphrasing. I can't allow you to live in this garden now where there is a tree of life. Because if you eat now the tree of life, you will turn this thing here that you've done, death, into a permanent thing. And so you're going to have to leave the garden. But I'm going to put some angels out here called cherubims, and they're going to keep the way back to this garden and to this tree. But I want to tell you, you're going to go into a world that has fallen because now you've created that. But I want to tell you what, I'm walking with you. I'm not going to stay in the garden and say, y'all report back. Mm -mm. I'm not going to heaven and say, y'all report back. But I'm going to walk into this world with you. And their first kids, came and, and had two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain murders Abel, and God didn't leave him. God comes and talks to him. He said, what are you doing here, man? What you doing here? He said, listen. And he, God warned him before he murdered his brother. He said, you got something going on in your heart now. He said, that's sin. Don't let it get a hold of you. He said, it desires to have you. you don't, don't let it get a hold of you. But then he rises up and murders his brother. What does this holy God, this too holy look at sin does? He comes and puts his arm around a murderer. He said, what you do, son? Where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? No, you ain't his keeper, but you are his brother. And you have murdered him. He said, he said, he said you know, it might 
my, my judgment's too severe. That's your own judgment. God said, I'm going to put a mark on you. I'm not going to let nobody kill you. I'm not going to look at God. What's he doing right out the gate? Saving a murderer, talking to a murderer, loving on a murderer. He's digging around him. He's fertilizing him. He's helping him. Come on, somebody. That's who God is. That's the real God right there. That's who God is. Not the religious God that people make up. Not the vindictive, punitive, retributive God that punishes this angry, this mad. You know, that's not who God is. That's a false image of God. And I'm spending my life and my energy and my lung power and my, my effort to try to communicate the truth about who God is. And yeah, I can feel the pushback because man loves religion and he loves rules and regulations and he loves right and wrong and he loves all that. And I'm not saying there's not right and wrong. I mean, but I'm telling you, you ain't going to save yourself by doing right or wrong. It's by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Stand with me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Seriously, though, I do, like, I want your prayers. I, I need your prayers. I covet your prayers, as Paul said. I do sincerely, seriously ask you to pray that God will touch the heart of that insurance company and those people, and they don't hassle us. Uh, they just write the checks and let us get our building fixed and let us replace what was tore up so that I can focus on life and go on without having to fight this mess every day. Um, that's all I want. And, and I do believe, I'm sincere, I believe that God can touch the hearts of the powers that be and, and they, they just write the checks. Come on, man. The, the company I had on my house, they, they, they just been great. They, you, know, I, you know, the other day, I, you know, the guy told me 2500 to fix your fence. Well, when he got through fixing, the, putting up the new fence, it was 3500 and uh, so I called the insurance company. Don't worry about it. We'll pay the difference. I'm like, I love y'all. <laughs> I wish our church insurance was like y'all, you know. But hey, man, it's just life. Anything that's bad that's happened in your life, God's not behind that. God's not behind that. Sometimes just wicked people devising wicked schemes and plans to hurt. This ain't heaven. God's not manipulating, controlling people. But I do believe we have favor because we put our faith and confidence and trust in Him. I do believe that. There's not a day that I don't go out doing what I do that I don't pray. Papa, I said, I know I got your favor as your kid. I was born with it. Thank you. But I'm asking you to help me with this situation. Help me when I go into this home. Touch their hearts too. Help me do what you put me out here to do. Sometimes in my mind I go, no, what am I doing out here 64 years old riding the roads working in Medicare? How many knows that wasn't in my 10-year gold vision plan guide? So I can spend a lot of time meditating on that. You know where it leads you? Start feeling sorry for yourself. Say this shouldn't be the way it is. Blah, blah, blah. And then you look back and you go, well, if this person had done this, and if this person had done that, and this person, this hit the person here, I hadn't lied, and it, you know, then I wouldn't be. And then, and then, boy, then you got some, then, then it's just, your whole world's caving in. That's called depression and a pit. So I don't worry about why I'm riding the roads. I just go, thank you, Lord, that I got a ride to ride the roads in. And, uh, and I thank you that you've provided. And I remember Bishop Dutton, who's with the Lord now in person, 
I was invited in 1992, the month of March, to a revival on the Moultrie-Spencefield Highway, I believe they call it, to a little church called Day Spring Community Church. And I was invited to bring my drama team in my youth, and a guy was there preaching revival. And I went there with about 30 of my congregants who always wanted to hang out with me wherever I went. That's back when folk loved church and everything. And they would look for opportunities to go elsewhere. That, that's not an indictment. It's just where it was. We went, and here comes a guy up to the pulpit. And I have it on tape, CD. I've played it for you before. And this guy gets up to preach and called, looks out over the congregation and tells me to stand up. And he gave me the most detailed, specific prophecy I've ever received in my life. And that prophecy has fueled my fire and my faith for all these years. At times, I have to bring it out and remind myself of what Papa said. And one thing God said, is, is he said in that prophecy to me when I was a young man, because I, I had just left a big denomination and started in, in faith with the church. And one of the things that he prophesied, he said that, that you shall not look to man for thy retirement, but you shall look to thy God, and he shall reward thee. That's one of the things he said. And I said, and I told God the other day, while I, just this past week, I'm just telling, riding the road by myself, I said, Papa, you remember you told me I wouldn't have to look to men for retirement, so I'm not going to worry about the clock and the calendar, and you're going to reward me according to what you said through, that, through your servant, Bishop. And so I'm out here, and you see me, and just bless me, Papa, today to help me to do what I'm out here to do and be a blessing. Amen? And uh, you live your life. Amen? Love you guys. I really do. God ain't behind nothing that's hurting you. If you can ever get that, then I want you to turn around. I'm not trying to evangelize y'all so much because I think y'all should really, if anybody should have this, y'all should have it. And I can tell you do. So today was a lesson on how for you to go out and to evangelize other believers. And for you to pray for those believers like Paul did in Ephesians 3, that they would come and be able to comprehend how high, wide, deep, and broad the love of God is. And that you with all the saints be able to comprehend that and that you personally experience it in your own life. And when God done something like he done for me in Chandler, Texas, I want to tell you that surprised me big time. I wasn't expecting it. And when that preacher got up and started doing radar looking for somebody to prophesy to, I didn't think. And number one, I'm thinking, you can't prophesy because there's Baptist methods here and don't even believe in that. But he did it. There was Catholic dudes in there. And he did it anyway. I guess he figured it was his church. He'd do what he wanted to. And, and, and for that to happen, it surprised me so greatly that God would do that for me. And what was God doing? He was just showing me that stop worrying yourself to death about bills. And I just wrote off your Adel Memorial Hospital bill right here in one whack from people from Texas that don't even know you. So you just stop worrying about everything. Just obey me. Go preach the gospel and I'm going to take care of you. And I was young. And like David said, now I'm older. And I have seen him do things time and time again. I don't know how many times I thought we were going under. And somehow or another, here I still am. 
I'm still here. Sometimes that's the best testimony. I'm still here. I'm still here. I've gone to these doctors and they've said, well, you could have, and they go down a long list. Just went through that the other day. They had a long list. I'm like, I wish y'all wouldn't go through these long lists when you don't even know. How about keeping that to yourself? And I come home, told my wife, boy, she kind of got bristled up. She said, they shouldn't tell you all that. I'm like, get them, baby. Go on up there and get them. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. Because that makes me want to Google that disease and see what the ramifications are. I don't know about you, but that has never built faith in me. I want Mr. Google seeing what the side effects and does it I, what I, I do like you do. I just have to just shake my head, folks, and no, I'm not doing that now. I'm just going to trust the Lord here. I'm going to pray and believe for healing in my body, and it ain't what they say, and, and, and I'm not going to play the videos of my funeral. I'm not going to do that. I'm not done yet. I'm going to be like Paul. I'm fully persuaded. The boat looked like it's going to sink, but the, just called the boat sink, I might make it to the shore on a piece of a boat, but I ain't done yet. And the reason Paul said that I, I know I'm not going to die on this boat wreck because I ain't been to Rome yet. And God prophesied to me that I would stand before uh, uh, Agrippa and Felix in Rome and, and, and Caesar. I'm, I'm not been to Rome yet, so I'm not done yet. So you just claim him promises. I'm not done yet. It's not over. Why? Because all God's prophecies ain't been fulfilled that he prophesied to me. I've told God, Lee Barnes planted this church. I honor him for that. I've watered it. But God gives the increase. That's what Paul said. And so all I can do is say, Papa, Lee Barnes planted it. Uh, I've come and watered what was planted. But Father, you that, you're the one that brings the increase. So I pray increase. Increase the people. Increase the faith. Increase the power. Increase the healings. Increase the finances. Increase our influence. Increase that in this community. Lord, because you're not about decrease. You're an increase, God. God's not a decrease, God. He, we go through some times of decrease, but that's the country and the world and the economy. But God don't ever go through no depression or oppression. God don't go through no economic downturn. God don't participate in none of that. God sits on the throne of gold. He don't, he's not changed over to a wooden bench. He's still on the throne of grace. And so all this other stuff fluctuates, ups and downs, this and that. Interest is now, to, my God, it's 8%. Can you believe to get a house? How are we going to make it? You're going to pay it if you get one right now. My wife's in real estate. Do you know my first house I built in 1986, 85? At the end of 85, 86, I built a house, and, and we financed it over 10% interest and was happy to get it. <laughs> it was happy to get it. And look at here, I'm still alive. I made it through it. I made it through it. And I was so glad to get out of them apartments. I'd have paid 20% interest if I had to get out of them apartments where I live. And I had a little house out on Coxdale Road in Adel. Man, I was proud of that house. Them bathrooms were so small, I'm not exaggerating one thing. You sat on the toilet. You got to turn your legs like this, close the door, and then get back in position. Or you knock the skin off your knees. Am I telling the truth, baby girl? Because when we did the plans, we wanted every inch in the house that we live in. So we ain't worried about no bathroom. Just tighten that thing up and give us more room in the house. So we... <laughs> we did... <laughs> Didn't we, baby? We did it for five years. 
and was happy to have it. Because in my living room, I had a little more room. And it was just a lot nicer. But I did think, man, I should have. And then I had a, and then I was so trying to cut square feet, I, I cut off a whole, what was it, foot, two foot on the side of the house. I didn't know when you cut off two feet of your plans that it shoves your dining room table into your walkway when you come in from the back door. But Sister Jill put up with my fear. I was like, man, we can't, we got to trim this thing up. I can't afford this. So I took two foot off the side of the house over, and then you come in the back door and you walk right into the dining room table. Just because I'm chicken. Was. So then later on, I had to get Steve Batts to come out there and knock that wall out and build me a, what, I don't even what you call it, what you call it? A bay window type whole deal. And so we could get the dining room table back out of the walkway. Because Brother Dale was scared of that 10% interest. Don't be do dumb stuff like me. If your plans call for that extra two feet, leave it in there. You'll be all right. God's got, God knows you need a house, dear lady, dear sir. And he cares about it. He cares about all these little things. He knows you by name. Amen. Papa, I love you. Thank you for loving us. Bless your precious people today, for they are blessed of the Lord, for they are highly favored, your children. Let them rest in that peace and confidence and assurance that you do know them by name. You know what they face. You know what's before them. You know what's behind them. You know all things. You see all things as they are, past, present, and future. For they're all the same to you. So I pray in Jesus' name that they leave this place full of confidence. Not only, Lord God, of your great love, but they will help evangelize other Christians. That they would be a witness, a living witness, and an epistle read of all men of how high, how deep, how wide is your love for all the saints, for all those, Lord God, that's on this earth, how much you love us. And help us to live with that confidence, walk with that confidence, and just trust you, Father. Even when towers fall and wicked men do wicked things, we know you're not the author. You didn't will it. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to make a difference in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We love you. Hey, man, if you need personal prayer, I'm down here. I'd be honored to pray with you. We love you guys.